Welcome to episode 32. Dallas and I are here for you. <laughs> Good. There you go. All right. I was going to say something about being vegan or I'll be blue. <laughs> yeah. Which is like not a threat, but uh, a guilt trip. <laughs> you're you're too Minnesota nice. I'm fine with the threats. Okay. But uh, no, but we are here for you. Yeah. Episode 32, Dallas and Ryan are here for you. <laughs> It's true. <gasps> and it's true! You're listening to Midwest Vegan Radio. We're sharing all our secrets. We're sharing all of our secrets just for you special listeners. With your hosts, Dallas. That sounds so good. And Ryan. Pass the news. Hey guys. We're live! But we're not actually live. I'm alive. I, well, a live, not live. I don't feel ready, but we have to go now. Okay. I'm Ryan. <laughs> I'm Dallas. Elliot's over there. Hello. Snoreen representing. Quiet. Snoreen representing. She's raising the roof. You can't raise the roof. No one can hear you. How many episodes do we need to do this? Yeah, they Hi. can hear you. Okay. <laughs> and wait. Let's pick our adjective. We have a. Uh, rad? I like rad. I was going to say cool or chill. No, let's go rad. I like rad better. Okay. Or we can... F- you can choose. I'll just say... Um, Is no, this like I don't the know. word of the day on Pee Wee Herman? It's ki- no, it's I, kind of. Well, it's just that we were calling we were all of everyone guests, special. Yeah, everybody was special, and then that wasn't special for anyone anymore. And it turned yes, into like super special, super, super special. a very special episode. Of Midwest no. Vegan Radio. Oh my be. gosh. We don't know yet. I need to be more present. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah, we've got a fa- fantastic yes. guest, but that feels kind of contrived for me because our guest is really, really, really important to me. And so I don't really even know how to, re- how to like introduce her in a public way that is as, I don't know, public as this. <laughs> what? I don't know. I don't feel I don't feel right, people. What's wrong with me? I don't know. I don't feel ready to record. You're being Maybe weird. I need some kind of pre-recording ritual. Like, Do you need some like new Jewish sleep orange juice? hygiene? Maybe orange juice would help. I don't know. Anyway, we've got a guest. Why don't you talk about her? <laughs> because I can't. Um, well, <laughs> oh, we have um Sarah Hane or when we're not using her Indian name. It's Sarah Jane Blum Murphy. Do you hyphen? I don't hyphen. Do you no, anything? Do you just Blum. go? You don't Murphy. Yeah, I'm okay. Oh, I, I do Murphy sometimes, but you know, that. Ah, dirty. <laughs> what? I got it. So anyway, of course you got it. Sarah Jane <laughs> is our good good friend, super special friend. We can say that. Yeah. And she's here today to talk about a variety of things. All kinds of ill Sarah Jane Variety Hour, we should call it. Midwest Vegan Sarah Jane Radio? No? Maybe? I like it. And then someone called her Sarah recently, and that really threw me, because I didn't know that that was an option, and it doesn't really feel right. Sarajane? Yeah. Sarajane? Sarajane. SJ. Yeah. Janers. You can go all sorts of places. Ooh, my name. Fancy. But I'd appreciate it if most people did not. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
Yeah. Ryan that... has special privileges. Oh, yeah. good. I didn't. I, I'm glad. I was a little worried for a second. So she's always getting special privileges. I well, you know, all the time. That's because I do a lot of favors for people. Yeah. So that's okay. But and anyway. you just got one of those personalities. But anyway, so yeah, we have a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about. It's not anything like super specific, but they're all important. So this is going to be really a pain in the ass to figure out a title for our episode. Eh, we'll I thought it th- was the Sarah Jane Variety Hour. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what we'll call it. So I guess um, the first thing that I know we want, I mean, the thing that I know we wanted to talk about a little bit is Sarah Jane is the, what do, what do we call you in terms of your title for like the, the campaign coordinator, campaign coordinator for a relatively new campaign in the Twin Cities, I guess, through the Animal Rights Coalition. And that is the Forgo Foie Gras Minneapolis, Right. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time saying that. Forgo you did a really good gras. job in a different episode. Forgo foie gras? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you messed it up later and I made fun of you. <laughs> okay. So um, I guess why don't we start out with just talking about what foie gras is and why people might want to forego it. <laughs> I think anybody who knows what foie Now you made it so I can't say it. Foie anybody gras? who knows what foie gras is would want to forego it. Um it's a so-called French delicacy that the term translates loosely to fatty liver. And what it is, is the grossly overfattened liver of a duck or goose that is sold um, as pretty much a really high-end specialty product. Another synonym for foie gras is hepatic lipidosis, which means... <laughs> Uh, fatty liver disease. So unlike most animal farming in which, you know, you know they're pumping lots of antibiotics into the animals and doing all of these things because they think that widespread rampant disease is an unfortunate byproduct of their, you know, terrible intensive farming practices, here the disease is the point. They are trying to get animals sick to the brink of death by force-feeding them mass quantities of food twice a day or three times a day, depending on what farm, until they're literally about to explode. The farmers then look to try to gauge when they're just about on the brink of death and slaughter them just before that so that the liver will have time to get as big as it could possibly get and they can maximize their profits. It is a disease being marketed as a food. It is one of the most visible examples of the blatant disregard that farming has for animals. Yeah. Excellently put. I guess, yeah, that's one of the things that is so bizarre to me about it is that people pay so much money and they get all dressed up and they go to these fancy places so that they can eat a diseased organ. You know, that's, that's so weird. It's like grody with a... Yeah. Ugh. Why would you... Why? Why? That's so weird. But yeah, that's... And, and who the hell thought this stuff up? That's the other thing that's really bizarre to me. I mean, do you know? Well, it is a 
Foie gras has been around for thousands of years, so the one thing that you do hear when you start to talk about how it's not something that, you know, restaurants should be promoting or that people should be buying or selling is, you know, but it's been around for thousands of years. It's one of the oldest farming practices there is. And uh, who thought it up? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's like eating lobster. Who looked at a lobster and said, I'm going to eat whatever this yeah. weird creature is? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean... Actually, when we were doing, um, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday who said, who we were talking about um, graphic videos and the kinds of things that we see in these. I, I don't know. I, I want to get away from saying graphic, but these violent videos where you, undercover footage of slaughterhouses and um, intensive farms and stuff that you see online or, you know, in Earthlings or something. And it's just, um, we were talking about how it would never even occur to either of us to do any of those things. Like, I, I don't look at a piglet, and it does, and it, it does not occur to me to mutilate an animal or to throw them, you know, <laughs> throw them some, you know, against a wall or whatever it is. I just, I, that doesn't even occur to me. And so it's kind of shock. I mean, that's part of what the shock is when people see this stuff that you can't even think that stuff up. But I guess people do, and that's why... <laughs> That's why we're all miserable. Um, but okay, so the I guess one of the, naturally w this is a I mean clearly it's kind of a single issue campaign. I think you know you can say almost any campaign is a single issue campaign. Can do you guys want to say what that is? Just what a single issue make, campaign is for people. Um, I would have you define it if you want to define it because to me. Or I guess I'll just say why yeah, I think. think why I think foie gras is an important campaign. Um, pretty much, the only way to get people engaged in conversation and to get people rethinking their choices as consumers, as citizens, as you know, business owners, is by making things specific and real. And foie gras is a place where it represents everything that's bad about both factory farming and the myth of kind of humane farming. You know, it, it shows that whether it's a small farm with 4,000 birds in the course of a year who are having a pipe shoved down their throat twice a day, 4, you know, 000. or a large farm with 40,000, it's still a form of torture that goes on every day in and day out. You know, it doesn't matter if it's called artisanal or if it's called you know a factory farm you can see the way in which animals are commodified for food and you can use it as an example to you know really create awareness on a broader base especially right now when there is a lot of misinformation being put out there about you know slow foods small farms family farms so i think that while it is a single issue that can galvanize people, you know, like any campaign, you can use it to the ends that you think are most important, you know? You can use it as a tool to bring people into conversations that they might not otherwise have a way to get into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it really, it isn't necessarily a single issue campaign. 
Well, I mean, it's it's a it's a campaign. The conversation around it wouldn't. No, and I think that's important because um, when I talk to people, do we still explain what that is? What single issue campaign? Well, really get explained. I think it's self evident. It's you know, it's when you take your energies. What people aren't aware of in terms of terms. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's like the difference between saying um, we're. I don't. I don't think that asking people to go vegan is necessarily a single issue campaign, though, because it it addresses all kinds of all but, kinds of practices and ideologies and belief systems and behaviors and habits. I guess I would say asking people to go vegan isn't a campaign. Asking people to go vegan is a strategy. Is a strategy. You know. So. And that's kind of why I don't tend to use, you know, the terms single issue campaign or to think in those terms because, yes, I want to encourage people to rethink the way they eat, to rethink the way they interact with animals. I also would like to see all the foie gras farms in America go out of business in a short amount of time. I think that would that would stop an immeasurable amount of suffering and that that is a good goal in and of itself and that is a single issue goal i mean yeah but Mm -hmm. it is measurable it is real and Mm -hmm. it is exactly what i want you know when i ask somebody not to eat foie gras that's what i want when i ask a restaurant not to sell foie gras that's what i want when i say a foie gras farm should not be allowed to keep running in america that's exactly what i want and the difference between saying that and saying i'd like all farms to not kill animals is that there's no ground in which people would start listening to me if i said that you know that most people agree with me on the issue of foie gras most people don't want to see foie gras farms in america it's a relatively new thing to america it's not something most people are comfortable with so By mounting a challenge to it, we can make the lives of these ducks who are being tortured for foie gras better. You know, we can stop this torture from going on anymore. We can also introduce all sorts of larger questions. I think it's a really interesting issue. It's also really timely because California, seven years ago, banned the production of foie gras in the state. It also banned the selling of it. And that ban had a very long grace period because California had one of the few foie gras farms in the country. And they gave them seven years to, you know, kind of figure out what they were going to do when they could no longer be a foie gras farm. And the grace period ends July 1st. So Hmm. there's a lot of new controversy going on in California about, you know, chefs saying, we're going to have underground foie gras parties because... We really want to stick it to people who dislike animal cruelty. And the the legislature has actually gone on record saying, you know, we're not going to revisit this issue. We made a decision. We gave you plenty of time to find a new career path. And Mm -hmm. we are not going to open this back up just because, you know, a few restaurants are trying to get attention by making a spectacle about it. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. Well, I think that the other thing too is, um, I, I, I like the um, idea that it, this is a 
it's an opportunity. It's a conversation starter. And wherever you take it is where you take it. So, um, you know, the idea that we can ask people to, you know, to not participate in this particular um, behavior, which is producing, selling, purchasing this product, uh, but then immediately also tie in because this, you know, this is, um, well, I mean, it is really extreme, but also that this, you can go right back to the core of your belief system. Well, I mean, I also, and this is my own personal belief, that most people have gotten so far away from believing that they have any say in what they eat, in what comes their way. You know, most people have to relearn how to say yes and no to things. And, you know, it's actually putting on the table, this is something that you, you know, Jane Citizen can say no to, and you can say you don't want to see in your town, and then you can see that change. That doesn't just, you know, give a voice to our movement. That gives a voice to citizens who don't feel like they're being heard, you know, to to people who feel like, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to eat whatever they put in front of me because, you know, no one listens to me when I say I don't want to eat, you know, pink slime. They just keep giving me pink slime. I don't really know a whole lot about this pink slime thing, but we is that, is that our it. next variety hour topic? Or? Oh, no, it's, it, it's, it's a hot, it's a, it's a buzzword right now, but it's okay. Yeah, pink pink slime is just the. It's been discovered that pink slime is basically how they make all fast food products. You know, sort of like. You don't want to know how your sausage gets made. That I don't want to know phrase. how my ketchup gets you made. You don't want to know how your pink slime gets made. I don't want to know. I don't, I don't, tomatoes are, I don't want to know where my ketchup comes from. And so, Serge, so you've been working on this particular issue. It's really near and dear to your heart. Yes. I've been working on issues surrounding foie gras since the early 2000s. And I mean, as an activist, I always think you have to you know, tap into your own personal passions and the things that, for whatever reason, you know, move you to get up in the morning. And I will readily admit, I just love ducks. Like, I don't think they're more important than, you know, cows or chickens or fish or anything, but I love them and I see them and I'm, you know, inspired again. And one of the really hard things about being a long-term, you know, animal rights activist is it's easy, or any activist for that matter, it's easy to get discouraged. And so, like, it's been really, it's been really a source of great joy for me, you know, to, like, every so often just see a duck who either had been rescued from a foie gras farm or who is, you know, just a Muscovy duck walking around by a lake who's a cousin of one of those ducks who's currently suffering and think, I'm going to help. Yeah. I'm going to help make this stop. You know, I, when I was, you know, involved in doing an investigation and rescue, you know, I got to have some of these guys in my house. They're so sweet. They're so adorable. And they don't care about people at all. That's my favorite thing about ducks. They just don't care about people. They just don't care. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like they don't they they're don't know about your outfits in, or um, they, they don't they they're not looking for cuddles and Yeah, they're sort of not looking for cuddles. I'm not saying that none of them can bond to people, but like they just have this I'm going to do my thing 
no matter how hard you try to make it, I'm going to do my thing and I'm going <laughs> to ignore you. And I just, I just find that indifference to the human world really magical. Yeah. <laughs> Did they swim in your bathtub? Um, they did swim in my bathtub a little. Um, they actually were needing rehabilitation because on foie gras farms, there was really intensive confinement. And so their legs had atrophied. So mm. two of them actually got physical therapy where they went to a vet's office that had sort of an underwater treadmill. <laughs> And swam in the underwater treadmill to be able to build back up their leg those muscles. Pa- yeah, those particular ducks were in the little one. Yeah, they're like they're kind of like gestation crates for ducks, but they're like just it, pretty like the much. size they're, of a they're shoebox. Called isolation cages. Yeah, I, yeah. Jeez, isolation cage. They're so they're about the size of what like a shoebox. Pretty much, and, and the duck just has to sit. And you have to think about the fact that you know these birds, they're being forced to become morbidly obese. As they're stuck in tiny spaces. I mean, and I will grant that most ducks right now on foie gras farms in America are not in those isolation cages. But the fact that the industry was like, oh, we should test that out. Maybe that'll make our lives easier. Is just one of the things that's so infuriating to me about this. You know, it's not enough that... We're going to shove a metal pipe down your throat, possibly rip it through your esophagus, make your stomach explode, or you choke to death in your own vomit. It's not enough that we're going to subject you to all that. Let's also shove you in a box that you will progressively get too fat to move in. Yeah. The myth is because ducks and geese have quote-unquote calcified esophagi, they won't suffer the pain. And while it is... You know, while it is true they can swallow something harder and larger than you or I could, you know, comparatively to the body size, um, they still will have this thing scraped against their esophagus. Mm-hmm. So I, it will hurt their esophagus, first of all. More importantly than that, a duck, if you have ever seen one, is not entirely esophagus, you know? <laughs> First, the first the tube has to go through the beak and the tongue, which are all very sensitive, down, and then the food actually gets pushed into the stomach. I mean, these are all areas of the body that can be injured and are injured. You know, the pain of being yanked by your neck and your throat and then having a tube shoved down it, whether or not you're actually feeling the injury at the point of your throat is really a non-issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like all of the excuses, well, clearly they're just excuses, but it's kind of like the humane farming myth. It's just yeah. the argument for, oh, they don't mind that or it doesn't hurt them, doesn't take anything to its logical conclusion. Yeah. It doesn't, or even the, the front end, it doesn't, it just doesn't cover the whole thing. It's like, oh, here's my excuse. But yeah. your excuse has so many holes in it. I'd like to bring up another, you know, persistent myth um, that the industry does like to promote, which is that ducks and geese will gorge themselves before they migrate. So this is natural behavior. or This is a, you know, this is mimicking natural behavior. And I'd just like to say that there's two really big problems with that. Um, the, or three, actually. The first is... 
when ducks and geese gorge themselves, they do so by eating all day. You know, they don't take 30 seconds of their day to have as much food shoved down their throat as possible Mm -hmm. and then do it again a few hours later. The other next thing is that a duck who is going to migrate, maybe their liver in the in the gorging process before migration will swell to twice its normal size, not 10 times. Ducks who have gotten this fat could not possibly fly. The third thing is that the type of duck they breed for foie gras is non-migratory. So even if it were true that this sort of behavior was, you know, an evolutionary adaptation to migration, these are non-migratory birds. Yeah. So after the, so with the birds that you rescued, were they, were, did any of them recover or is this a, I mean, once the liver is so far gone... Some of them did recover, yes. This is actually a reversible process. It's not unlike human obesity. You know, like, Mm. it... If you do... You know, if you stop the problem and you, you know, take care to reverse it, you can regain some level of health in these animals. Some of them were not, you know, were too close to death to be able to really live out a life, but a couple of them were very long-lived and just really, really, really happy when they saw water for the first time. I wish this wasn't the radio, so I could just show you the smile on my face and the pictures of them seeing water for the first time. Yeah. Well, if you have images, we can put them on the website. Yep, I'll send you a couple. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you do, you volunteer, or occasionally, with helping Waterfowl now? I do. I um, try to volunteer as much as I can, actually, in Waterfowl nurseries and uh, with orphaned, you know, ducks and geese. Because most people, they can't really stand it because it's stinky. <laughs> and I just, I love it. So, yeah, they're, they're just so cute. Hello, so. babies. <laughs> I'm slowly, slowly, slowly working on getting my wildlife rehabilitator license, but that's like years in the future. And mm. then I'll be able to work with them even more and get to do more than clean up their stinky poo. So you had been doing this kind of um, investigatory rescue, really public work on this campaign. What uh, delicacy... Yeah, we. I worked with a group called GourmetCruelty.com, um, which was a coalition that we put together for the purpose of doing an investigation into the foie gras industry in America. And, you know, we produced a 20-minute long documentary. And with it, I was involved in an open rescue of um, some of the animals, which just means that, you know... I rescued some of the animals and then I told the press about it and showed lots of people lots of footage of it, some of which turned into a 30-minute show on Animal Planet that is so corny. I cannot <laughs> even handle it. Is your um, your footage is available online for us to show people? It is available online. Great. And anyway, mm, corniness aside, there, you know, th- it was a story that people found, you know, touching. Like, I had rescued two ducks. I had named them after my 
favorite 21 Jump Street characters. <laughs> what I were like their names? Them. Harry and Penhall. Penhall? Penhall. Oh, yeah. cool. And, you know, I let them live in my house and I helped them learn. They didn't know how to eat at first on their own. They mm-hmm. or they couldn't because their mouths hurt too much. You know, so they had to learn to eat on their own, how to walk, how to kind of do all that normal stuff again. And, you know, this was a large part of how people were exposed to this issue. This is a large part and getting exposed to this issue, both in New York and California ended up being a large part of why California moved to outlaw foie gras production and sale. So I spent many years pretty much doing my best to talk about this at every turn, to show the documentary at every turn and to be as vocal as I possibly could. Yeah. And I think where you're going with this is, and then they passed the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act. Right. That's exactly where I was going with this. So, and for those of you who want more information about the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act in some depth, you can listen to episode number seven with Will Potter as our guest. And we talk all about him or all about the AETA with him. um, And he is a blogger at greenisthenewred.org. Um, but in any event, so a, a condensed version of what the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act is, just in a sentence or two. The Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act is a really disturbing federal law that broadly targets any protest or activism against any business that has any tie to an animal enterprise that causes them damage or harm with damage or harm including the loss of profits and potential profits yes so pretty much saying i would like you to come out to lunch with me at ecopolitan the vegan restaurant in town rather than mcdonald's could be seen as damaging mcdonald's profits and become an act of terrorism depending on what your state of mind when you asked that was and for me it was really it was really a game changer because when the ata was passed there was already a wave of green scare arrests and prosecutions of animal rights and environmental activists many of whom were my very dear friends And I became genuinely afraid that if I showed delicacy of despair, if I talked about it, that I would be subject to prosecution under this terrorism legislation. And I will just say at that time, I had already been brought to court and sentenced for my role in the open rescue, because in the eyes of New York State, that was considered theft. But, you know, that was something I was totally, you know, that's my proudest moment, being involved in that investigation and being able to give those animals, you know, happy lives after all they'd been through. So currently, because it was too many years of me living in fear and too many years of all of us in the movement starting to live in fear, I became involved with a lawsuit that is currently challenging the constitutionality of the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act. 
Through the Center for Constitutional Rights? Yes, through the Center for Constitutional Rights and the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Rachel Mirapol, who <laughs> is just a great lawyer and all props to her. Yes, that's awesome. So that's a pretty big deal. Because so uh, for those who may not have put that all together, um, basically Sarah Jane and a couple of other people are suing the federal government. Whoop, whoop. So that's a, I mean, that's a big, big deal. And um, suing them for essentially passing a law that is incredibly unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, really? Um, so it's, it's, I don't know. I just think that that's really awesome. And so, um, I don't know. Is there anything that you want to share about that, ex- like that whole process or experience or... There, there is something I'd like to say. I get asked all the time what people can do. And to be honest, there's not, you know, regarding this lawsuit, there's not even very much I can do. You know, like, this is something that lawyers have to work out with other lawyers. You know, I, I can't change the way that legal proceedings happen any more than any other citizen. I wish I could make them go faster so that... I could know what was going to happen if I could do anything. But um, really, what I hope people can do if they hear this and they think to themselves, God, I didn't realize just how badly our civil liberties were being trampled on. I didn't realize just what a threat to freedom of speech this thing that seemed to have nothing to do with me because I'm not an animal enterprise terrorist actually is. I would recommend that all of you, you know, try to raise awareness about this legislation. And also, if there are ag-gag bills, which is pretty much the same sort of legislation, but happening on the state level in your state, if you hear anything about a law like that being introduced, fight it and fight it hard before it gets on the books. Mm-hmm. Because um, suing the government is far less effective of a use of time for helping animals directly than making sure that other people don't have to sue the government (laughs) so they can keep helping animals. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Okay. Um, I guess another thing that you do, (laughs) (laughs) I know, this is just like, oh, how awesome is Sarah Jane? But I, I do this with you. But um, is, um, we also do support vegans in the prison system. It's another another project. Yeah. And, you know, it's a project that I feel really passionately about, both because, like I said, you know, as the Green Scare sort of rounded up all my friends and threw them in jail for very suspicious reasons, you know, and on very flimsy excuses there were all of a sudden a lot more vegans in prison than there had been before. And it's... Vegans near... gotta eat. What'd you say? Vegans gotta eat. They, they do have to eat, and it's nearly impossible depending on what state you're in, you know, what what unit you're in. It can change from cell block to cell block whether or not there are nutritionally adequate vegan meals available to people who request them. And so... I work as hard as I can to make sure that anybody, whether they're an animal rights activist or just somebody who, you know, sends a letter saying they heard about us through a friend and they're vegan and they're 
you know, doing, they're going, doing some time for something that has nothing to do with the movement. I try to make sure that the people at the prisons they work at, or they, they're incarcerated at, the people who work at the prisons they're incarcerated at have all the information they need to give people the conscience, you know, fulfilling, nutritionally adequate diet they request. Yeah. And it's it's a lot of it's a lot of letter writing. It's a lot of bureaucracy. A lot of bureaucracy, but I can't say how many times I've been getting like Facebook messages from people's mothers being like, mm. you know, my son's starving to death. Can you help him? And I hope that they're, you know, being a little bit exaggeratory when they say they're starving to death, but sometimes I'm not even sure. Yeah. Well, and so, I mean, I guess that ideally someday we can get it so that vegan, you know, you just, you say that you're vegan and there's an option for you. Like there's, there is, there's some kind of protocol in place that would address that. Um, as of right now, it's really a case by case basis. Well, the thing about the prison system in the United States is that, you know, not only, um, you know, not only are there 50 states, each with their own, you know, prison system, there's also a federal one. And, you know, then on the county level, sometimes there'll be jails. So, There are states that have begun to, you know, introduce a vegan option as their common fare option, and hopefully that'll happen more and more, because this does seem to be a growing problem, I mean, which may just represent a growing trend for more and more people to be choosing a vegan life. Yeah, well, there are people who go vegan in prison. Yes. Um, But uh, yeah, just for clarification's sake, a common fare meal, basically common fare is the option for people who um, have convinced chaplain basically in some prison um, that they are a believer and practicer of a certain, you know, one of the prison approved, <laughs> prison approved religions that they're going to acknowledge. Is your with, religion prison approved? Yeah. That they are going to acknowledge with, um, I don't know, accommodating the restrictions of your diet your dietary religious just in case people are wondering the reason that they do make it so restrictive um is probably twofold one it's the prison system that's what it does you know it tries to create ways to restrict people's freedoms at every turn because that's essentially the definition of prison but it's also tends to be more expensive to serve the common fare meals than it is to serve the regular meals and you know it's a vicious circle because so few people are allowed to have it the costs of each of them go up and in some ways if prison systems were to institute just a vegan common fare program that was easier to get into the food would be relatively cheap and the cost would come back down so it would then be easier for other people to just start getting that option as well yeah Good point. So in terms of support vegans in the prison system, two things. One, know about us. So if you know somebody who, you or somebody you know who is vegan ends up in jail or or in prison, heaven forbid, and they're having trouble getting food that is nutritionally adequate, we're not going to help somebody get sprouted 
sprouted beans and so they can make raw nut cheese or whatever. We're not doing that. But if you are legitimately not getting enough food to meet your caloric intake or, you know, you're, you're starting to develop some kind of deficiencies or whatever, you're worried about that, then we can help you. Um, we've had a couple people say... There's too much sugar in the cereal they give me. It's like, that's just too bad. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, there's that. So just know that yes, the there, only thing we can try to do is give you food that is as good as the non-vegan prison option. So yeah, that's, which is pretty bad. Um, but we do our best. And then the other thing, so, uh, support vegans in the prison system, support VIPs because vegans in the prison system are very important people. Um, support VIPs is on Facebook and there is also a website, supportvips.org. Speaking of the website, we really, really would love to have a volunteer graphic designer. So if anybody out there is listening and you want to do a mitzvah and help some vegans in the prison system and us, let us know because we would absolutely love to have a beautiful functional website that is attractive and professional, easy to navigate, and um, all of those things that a fantastic website should be. So (laughs) if you want to help make that dream come true, just let us know, and we will be so thrilled to hear from you. Yes. Um, I guess my very last bit for you, that I have anyway, I don't know what Ryan's has, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Lily. Your Lily. My Lily is an eight-pound Chihuini dog, apparently, which is a (laughs) cross between a Chihuahua and a Dachshund. And um, she's the light of my life most days. She (laughs) looks like a normal-sized dog who got shrunk with a shrink ray. And um, she acts like the most fearsome and friendly thing all at once sometimes yeah she we rescued her from a animal shelter in florida and she we did not know this at the time but had one of the worst cases of fear aggression that several of the trainers we spoke to had ever worked with she in the three years that we have had her in our family has come to be able to meet new people and come to trust them within a half an hour from when at first when we adopted her it would take up to six months of exposure before she would start trusting a new person so she is just the greatest and (laughs) i have a friend who also says that um lily is her role model because at this point She'll, she's still very afraid of most things, but she sort of moves towards them. You know, she feels the fear and then she moves towards the new experience anyway. Which is the definition of courage. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. That's really cool. But I mean, I guess, so that's a pretty incredible thing. I mean, to have taken this baby into your home and then after the fact, discover that there are all these, that, I mean, that she has these challenges So what was that like? It was, well, 
And this is a common story about rescuing dogs from shelters. A lot of times animals at shelters, they're so overstimulated that they really just shut down. You know, they go into shock and you don't see their personalities for good or for bad. And so when we adopted her, you know, we'd been told she didn't like most people, but she, you know, obviously liked us very immediately. But we didn't actually see any of her fear or aggression for the first few days. Unfortunately, three days after we adopted her, my husband had to go on an international trip. So he left the country, and there were Lily and I hanging out, and somebody had to come to fix the electrical system in my house. Lily barked for eight straight hours. By the time my husband got back into town, I was convinced that he was never going to be able to handle this because it really was a lot to handle. It was almost unimaginable. It was giving me migraines, all the barking, you know, like I loved her and I'd do anything for her, but it was really more work than I could have ever predicted at first. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to tell me we have to take the dog back and I'm going to refuse to, you know, take the dog back because we invited her into our family and then we're going to get divorced and my life's going to fall apart. (laughs) However, you know. That's a little dramatic. That was a little dramatic. Well, (laughs) and... It's a dramatic yeah. situation. It was a dramatic situation, because, you know? Because, I mean, because most people, I mean, that because, I mean, maybe maybe for our listeners, there's a lot of our listeners that would relate to where you're at because that, you know, to me, yes, you make a commitment, you know, you bring somebody into your family, you make a commitment that that is, you know, I'm going to take care of you for your lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, a, most people, because of the way that we relate to other animals and other species, would just say, oh, this isn't working for me. We're going to, you know, we're going to bring her back. Yeah. And that would not be something that most people would, que- you know, would question. So I think, you know, like, I don't, I don't think that that is a dramatic, and you know, he had fear. Never had or had like a dog a, before. A fear that, what was that? He'd, He'd never, never had, a, had dog. a dog before. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty big, it's yeah. a pretty big deal. Um. He obviously didn't say that and was just absolutely great. And I was like, well, I think we should probably get a trainer. And he was like, yes, let's do that. And, you know, I think I think she's absolutely a success story about shelters. I mean, because she's so happy. She's in, in she's still scared of things. She still, you know, has moments where life is too much for her. But who doesn't have moments where life feels like it's too much? Yeah. You know, but most <laughs> of the time, like, she's running around like crazy in our house and, you know, jumping up on everybody's lap. And if somebody comes back home who'd been out before she runs to the door to greet them, she'll come up to the person who's in the house already and give them a kiss on the face as it would be like, hey, someone's home, someone's home, let's go see them. <laughs> you know, it's people think, people can think that shelter dogs are broken. And I feel like if there was ever an example of a dog who on the outside, you know, the first day you saw the the extent of her anxiety, you might have gone, wow, that dog's just broken. It would be Lily. But yeah. she's not. She's not. She's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that there's something to be said, too, about the kind of bond that comes about after you've worked with somebody who really has challenges, you know, and, and been able to and create that bond with, you know, with them or have that level of trust or, you know, see them, see them 
reach milestones. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, it's just like the the level of pride and you know tenderness and love that you feel for those <laughs> those individuals can be pretty intense. Do we get to put a picture of Lily on the website too? Yeah, <laughs> we'll have a lot of pictures because <laughs> she's really really cute. Yeah, <laughs> I like the one on your Facebook, or maybe it, I don't know if it's still on there, but um, that makes her look like she's a very very large dog, but actually she's very tiny. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's pretty cool. What um, the picture's so weird to me. I don't get why it's so misleading. Why does she look so big in that picture? That's what I said. She's a she is like a big dog who got shrunk with a shrink ray. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. look like a small dog. She doesn't. No, she looks like she could she could be one of those like desert wandering dogs or something. <laughs> um, for so, all we know, she was. Yeah, for, yeah. I was gonna say like, do you have does any other trainers have any guesses mm. as to why? Like, what her story was. She was a stray. Yeah, she was a stray, so nobody has any idea. And, yeah, I mean, it could be poor socialization. It could be some form of abuse. It could be, you know, she was stray for so long that she kind of went semi-feral, you know. God only knows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is... That's a little Lily. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, do you have anything else, Ryan? I would just like to say that I think your nail polish is fantastic. <laughs> I really like it. Thank you. And I noticed that Dallas is making an attempt at eyeshadow. Is that what's going on? <laughs> no, it looks like you've got a fake glow. That's, so, that's, so, that's so mean. What does that mean? <laughs> Dallas is making an attempt at eyeshadow. You don't wear makeup. I but it sounds like no. I know because it looks you like mean. you have just like a faint little, or maybe you just have some like no. It's eyeshadow. Yeah, yeah. But it's just cute because <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do makeup. So. I will say it looks like Dallas has mastered the in intricacies of okay, makeup the, okay, yeah. with her beautiful eyeshadow. Fine, it was that a weird way to say it. It's very faint though. It's not like she doesn't have blue eyeshadow up to her eyebrows no so it's that's next week that's what <laughs> no yeah i don't know how to do makeup at all so i should have you teach me i want to um play makeup after we're done oh, i want to put makeup on you um but Every yes time Mocha, it's kind of like a greenish bronzish gold sort of thing i don't know it's probably something you should wear with a slinky evening dress but i have neon green socks on instead so <laughs> i don't know it just I thought, hey, I will try to do this and see if I can pull it off. And I don't know. That's so. Radio listeners, vote on how <laughs> you think Dallas pulled off her eyeshadow. Yeah, well, they're not going to have any clue. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, so okay, nail polish, eyeshadow. Yeah, I have no makeup on today, and no hair stuff. But I did. People told me that I look cute today. It must be the little white headband. People must think that's cute because my hair looks like Justin Bieber. I saw one Justin Bieber YouTube thing and I was kind of just horrified and I felt like an old person because I was like, is this what the kids are doing? That's so promiscuous and awful. Oh my gosh. You know, I (laughs) was not good. I don't know. I was like, you're, you're like 12 and you're talking about feelings that you shouldn't have. You don't know what you're talking about. 
but that's just... if I may interject for one second. First of all, Justin Bieber, I'm pretty sure he's 18. Second of all, um, I saw that band One Direction and had the same feeling with God, I'm so old because they're like apparently the young new hip thing. And, you know, they're kind of like the new kids on the block where Are they Christian? One no, they're not. They're they're the title seems they're very... British. They like were created by Simon Cowell somehow. One Direction um, seems kind of very like yeah. is that the ploy. American Idol guy? Yeah, oh. and he like put them together as a boy band, a la you know, NKOTB or the Backstreet Boys or whatever. But so they all have like their own personas, you know, the artistic one, the you know, athletic one, like Spice Girls or whatever. Yeah. But one of them is the sensible one. What teenage girl is going to go nuts for a boy in a boy band who's known as the sensible one? I do not understand what is wrong with kids today. <laughs> what do you I think I would be? be about the sensible one, honestly. <laughs> oh, you're not a crazy moron? You're my guy. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds so boring. Is he cute at least? I don't. It's like the, the I one didn't that's... pick them apart. <laughs> well, you can look at him and I mean, I know they're like twelve, but I mean, is he ugly? Is he? I don't ugly know which one, one he is. I, I say oh. like I don't. I just know that one of them is known as the sensible one, planning for retirement yeah. and flossing before <laughs> bed. And... <laughs> that's uh, that's his. Those are that's sorry. His I've already had one beer. I've got to drive. <laughs> I know he's the one. Yeah, who, yeah. Who takes the keys and snoring? Do you know anything about this? Shovels and no. salts. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. Okay. Awesome. Helps take care of his baby sister when the parents are out of town. Yeah, time. exactly. Like it, that's, the res- that's a responsible one, yeah. Sensible. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, well, that's a good role model. Maybe that's on purpose. Yeah, kids could use a little sensibility these days. Okay, so split decision on whether or not Whether or not sensible is an acceptable thing to market to teenage girls. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) All right. Are we ready for a product review? Sure. Product review. Product review. We're going to do a product review. Yeah. (laughs) One had a rice crust. It did. So that means it's gluten-free? It was. Should we do the rest of the episode like this? <laughs> this is kind of a lot of pressure. Kind of is. <laughs> Maybe for you. <laughs> okay, so Amy's Pizza. Amy's, you, I don't know who doesn't know who Amy's Kitchen is. I don't um, know her personally. Amy's, I love, there. so she's like in the natural food section. She's in the, she's does soup and frozen enchiladas and pizzas and mm, burritos and, mac and cheese mac and cheese and beans salsa beans? i just made that up beans yes oh refried beans i think yeah all kinds of stuff tons mm, the best uh like mock chicken soup for when you get sick like Shut in a can oh, yeah. like old the style no chicken noodle you know? yeah mm. i think i have some of that we should make some <laughs> well we had her pizza we had two and of her pizzas. Two of them. Not everything she makes is vegan. No, but no, no. it's really cool because on the ingredients, on the things that they do make that are vegan, it just right? Vegan. It just says vegan in bold in parentheses right there, so you don't have to look every place. It also tells you what the ingredients are. Yeah, well, it doesn't just say vegan, but it's nice. Stop worrying. It's hurry, vegan. Don't worry about it. But it's good because if you're in a hurry, you know, and you don't have allergies, and you're trying to 
get something that you can make very quickly before you pass out from hunger, which is often the case with me. <laughs> I about I can only read one word before my eyes start to glaze over. So <laughs> I appreciate that the word vegan is there. The one word and is I do vegan. trust Amy enough that she would not be misrepresenting her products. Yes. So what were the two kinds of pizza we had? It one was the gluten free non dairy cheese pizza with the rice crust. Mm. I thought that the uh, the artichoke one was the gluten-free one. No, I know that there was a rice crust on the other one because I checked it out. Both are rice crust? Okay. I have to grab the sneeze. <laughs> Excuse Let's me. <laughs> oh. So okay. the <laughs> rice crust was Sorry. both of them. One of them was um, artichoke and what else? Red pepper, Red pepper and onion. And that one was cheeseless. I love that one. The cheeseless one? Yeah. That was like the oh, caramelized so onion, artichoke, red pepper, yeah. mushroom one or something? Yeah. The other one was just it's a kind cheese of sweet. pizza. Yeah, it, was, it has kind it of is a very sweet, sweet. Yep. Yeah. taste to it. But um, I thought they were good. The non-dairy cheese one, it reminded me of like uh, the kind of little cheese pizzas that we used to get from Schwann's when I was a kid. The yellow truck that came down the street. Mm-hmm. And, um, or like stuff that came in the... You're very distracting today. I'm sorry. Ryan's hiding in her pants, and I can't. <laughs> I can't concentrate. That sounds, that sounds probably a lot weirder than um, it is. But yeah, like when you when you were a kid, and there were the really cheap, like Cisco pizzas that they had in the cafeteria, that were all processed and stuff. I mean, not, this is really. That's kind of it's kind of like with the tofurkey pizzas. It's like they're very very fancy pizzas that taste like. Something you'd get in a gas station. But that's exciting because we often don't get that as vegans. No. You too so can have processed gas station pizza. Yeah. Although I would say that I the mean one that without, in a good way. The one without the cheese um, is actually, you know, it tastes like a really nice focaccia that you'd get, you know, as an appetizer at a nice restaurant. Yes. And you could put your own, you know, like Daya or, yeah. you know, whatever you want on it and make it a cheesier pizza. Because it has no cheese. Yeah. I thought yeah. about actually adding Daya, but I didn't want to pervert it, pervert yeah. it for anybody that hadn't had that kind. I love that stuff. I love yeah. that particular yep. flavor. So I wanted to make sure that people... Could yeah. have it at face value. Yeah. Oh, I so love that. So thumbs up too. from me. Thumbs up, Amy's. Yeah. Elliot. Yeah. What say you? Thumbs you up. you stayed away from the artichoke one because you're like, what is this vegetable on my pizza? Yeah. So you had the cheese. <laughs> yes. It was a okay. I liked it. All right. <laughs> Snoring, you're gonna have to do something besides raise the roof. She's giving thumbs ups. <laughs> Did you like them both equally? Both Good. Cool. So that's a that is a unanimous. I uh, yeah. I like Amy's mac and cheese also. Yeah. Oh I like yes. The soup a lot. I like the tortilla. No, maybe it's not tortilla. It's like coconut Thai soup. Have mm. you guys had that one? I don't, I don't know, know if I've had that one. Coconut if I had to soup. rank my favorite Amy's products in order, I would say the enchilada meal. That has like the rice on the side, the and black bean enchilada meal. Yeah, then the breakfast burrito. Mmm, burritos. Then the yeah, the like 
unchicken noodle soup, which I just, it's just like a staple anytime I get sick, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the, their new kind of like, it's also gluten-free, the mac and cheese that they have. And it's then very good. there's also probably 10 other products in my freezer at any time. Yeah. I like their, um, whatever their, is it like a tamale or something? Yeah, that's with kind the of green a, with sauce. The sauce on it. Yeah. yeah. That's very good. The ziti bowl is good. The pasta. And yeah, I don't know. It, oh, and I like the tofu scramble Ooh, sandwich yeah. pocket thing. Oh, yeah. Like you know those. what I thought about instead of getting the pizzas, I thought the pizza rolls would be fun, but... Do they have vegan pizza rolls? Oh. Also, um... The spinach one, I think. Oh. There is... If you are if you test out that um, cheeseless pizza and you like it, they do make it in a sort of sandwich pocket form that has the same artichoke and red pepper filling, but mm. in its, like, handheld pocket sandwich I don't even like artichokes. That's so good. What? I don't like artichokes, but I like this pizza. Oh, I love artichokes. So, anyway, we've got a few coupons for a free product. You could try any one of those things. Yeah. I want to hear about people's stories of their um, adopted animals that came to them with issues. Okay. That's what I want to hear about. And what, what happened and what you did about it. Okay. I want to hear about how you didn't give up (laughs) because those stories make me feel good. Can I say one thing? No. That's really important that I should have said up front. By the way, my husband came back and he gave Lily the biggest hug and he was so offended that I'd ever even thought that he would give up on our sweet little Lily. That's sweet. And he, you know... He has changed our family's life. So I just want to say that, you know, as much as I have done to kind of make sure that I nurtured her trust, he's done at least that much, if not more. Yeah. Well, we didn't think that he was like a jerk or anything. Yeah. No, no, no. I've only met him a couple times, but. Well, yeah, I mean, I I have to say (laughs) it wasn't, uh, we did not have that kind of happy happy Hallmark moment um, with Max at all. (laughs) Ours was like, we took turns making sure that the other one wasn't going to get away with giving up. But it didn't, it was not always that we were, it wasn't like we were both on board from day one. We were kind of like, what have we gotten ourselves into? And then somebody would say, I don't know if I can do this. And then the other one would say, we are freaking doing this. (laughs) And then it would flip around. And the other one who had just said that was like, Maybe we can't do this. And then they're like, no, no, no. No, we're, we're fucking doing this. <laughs> this is, we are not bringing him back. This, we, this is who he is. Even if, even now, if it doesn't look like we were hoping it to, and it never gets better than this, this is going to be what our life is going to have to look like. But thank goodness it, it is better. So. Yeah. He's a cute, sweet dog too. Max. Yeah, uh, Brandon had a picture of a beagle puppy up on his computer like two weeks ago or last week or something. And he said, oh, look at, you know, he was like, oh, look at this cute beagle puppy. And I said, Brandon, everybody knows that beagles get cuter as they get older. (laughs) (laughs) Like that puppy has nothing on our 11-year-old boy. (laughs) 
because they're like a fine wine. They get better and better with age. So, and Dallas knows so much about fine wine. Yeah, I know nothing about fine wine. Fine wine and eyeshadow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have. I have basically. I have no class. So and no, uh, uh, no culture. No culture. I don't know what that has to do with wine or eyeshadow, but well, I don't know. <laughs> oh. Well, people who know about wine and are cultured. I don't know. You go to the theater more than anybody I know. So oh, I do I go think to the theater a lot. As somebody who has culture. Okay, that's good. So, mm-hmm. okay, um, can we talk about the green challenge? Of course. For this episode. Yep. It's time for the green challenge. Green challenge. Green challenge. There's no gloves. There's no swords. No white suits. Uh uh-uh. uh. It's just green challenge. You're just doing the earth a solid. Ryan hates it when she finds something out about me that she didn't know before. <laughs> she takes it really personally. <laughs> what was the last thing that I freaked out about? That I have a landline. You have a landline? <laughs> she lost it. Yes. Tell so, me something true. Something, Tell me something I already know. Something you already know. Um, I don't know much about makeup. <sighs> there you go. Okay. Yeah. You had LASIK? I did. Yeah. I don't even know you. Yeah, you too, actually. (laughs) Pretty well. You know me pretty well. But yeah, I had LASIK surgery. So I had... I feel um, like I'm talking to a stranger. I had (laughs) glasses for a long time um, and many different pairs. And when I got the LASIK surgery... um, Well, actually, not really when I got it done, but when I was cleaning out a drawer (laughs) long afterward... um, I found old prescription glasses, and I wasn't really sure what to do with them, um, especially being somebody that doesn't really go to the eye doctor so much anymore. But I did a little bit of research, and there is a really cool organization called Unite for Sight that um, will take prescription eyeglasses and like give them to well-deserving people who need them in countries that the people who live there have a very hard time getting a hold of glasses most of the time. So um, that is a pretty cool option. I mean, there are, usually there are places with your, you know, where you go to get prescription eyeglasses or eye, your eyes checked up that will take them to. But I really liked the Unite for Sight um, option. I mean, you do have to mail them, but they kind of they send like happy newsletters about what what they are doing, and it's really cool. Um, also, the Lions Club will take them too. But I don't really know much about the Lions Club, and I kind of worried that they might be something akin to like Shriners or something. I don't like Shriners, but maybe I should learn a little bit more about it. Does anybody know about the Lions Club and what they do? I've always thought they're I know they like exist. Shriners yeah. or something, but you know, they are some form of fraternal organization that has some sort of charitable mission, but I have no idea what that mission <laughs> How is. How legit that is? <laughs> yeah, I don't really know either, but Unite for Sight is very cool. But if somebody didn't want to mail their glasses in because they don't want to do postage or whatever, and they just wanted I to drop do them postage. off. I don't do postage. I don't do postage. That's so last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, then I guess you could check out Lions Club or call. Just call your optometrist. There's the fancy word that I was looking for. And mm-hmm. admittedly, like no matter what the big Lions Club mission may or may not be, um, what they're doing with the glasses is trying to get them to people who need them so yeah you know i'm so definitely in favor thing. of that absolutely so um that is that's it so when you find you know 
sometimes I'm like, oh, but I really like these frames and maybe I'll do, you know, something with them. And no, just give them to somebody who needs them and get them out of your drawers. <clears throat> That's what I have to say on that. Okay. I love the green challenge segment. I get to get up on a soapbox and tell people what they should do. It's your favorite. Which I don't always, you know, it's like I get to do it really overtly. I'm always trying to tell people what they should do, but I have to be careful about it. So (laughs) this is really, this is super obvious and fun. That's all. Shout out! So I have one. I actually have like five. Okay. My first one is to Marty for coming to see us from New York. It's a pretty big deal. He didn't come here for that. But oh, but it sounded we had like a fan. It. Come to Minnesota for whatever he came here for, and he visited us. Well, he visited me. He didn't visit. Yeah, you. I wasn't there. And so, what up to Marty? That was fun. We had a lot of fun. And oh, he also has a website called. Marty's Flying Vegan Review or something. I post about it on the Facebook page. So you can find it. Marty's but, Flying Vegan Review? Well, he reviews... That's a cool name. He reviews vegan restaurants around when he's flying around. Ah. So there's that. Cool. And, you know, we've got an airplane flying through the background right now. So maybe it's Marty. <laughs> Hi, Marty. <laughs> that is so... Well, yeah. Maybe it's Marty. That's what it, it might it's, all. It's it, a nice thing to think about. Yeah. What if that's him? I wonder how many vegans are in that airplane up there. I don't know. How many vegans are checking to see if there's honey on the peanuts? <laughs> or gelatin. <laughs> or gelatin. Like a, how many gelatin vegans? and peanuts. What the fuck? Why would you do that? So stupid. Anyway. And I want to shout out to. Leslie. Well, Leslie wants to shout out to London. Leslie B? Leslie B is shouting out to London. London the city? Equals great vegan-friendly city. Huh. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And awesome accent. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, Chris Ann is shouting out to Izzy's in St. Paul, and they made an awesome vegan ice cream cake for Melissa S. this weekend. (gasps) Izzy's makes ice cream cake? Apparently. That's what she says. Oh, my God. That's a wonderful thing. Awesome. Should we go get one? Just because? That's the show and let's For go no special one. reason? What do you mean? Yeah. Go it's get an ice cream. birthday present for Me? our very you? fat special friend to Alice Rising yeah. who had a birthday and Dolph should be celebrated with ice cream cake. Ice cream cake? See, my in-laws always get ice cream cake for every buddy's birthday and then we always end up with cuties like the tofu cutie things mm. which is fine but after 10 years it's like i really want some ice cream cake too i've never so had an ice cool. cream cake in my life oh really i, I a... just remember oh that is so cool they made an ice cream cake a vegan one did they did they like put icing balloons on it or something what i had a well, it wasn't vegan, but I had a five-tiered wedding cake for my very first wedding. That was ice cream? Mm-hmm. Five-tiered five ice cream wedding cake from Dairy Queen. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you've had enough ice cream cake for the both of us, is what you're saying. Yeah. 
probably. Man, see, I think because Dairy Queen is one of is one of the things that I missed, like, and still kind of, uh, I get nostalgic about it because it was a special treat for me when I was a kid. And I went to my sister's house, and she had a Dairy Queen near her place, and I remember like the one or two times I ever had a banana split there, and the big long handled red spoon, and all of those those kinds of things. And so I think like the ice cream cake when you're Seven seems like a really big deal. And so I still have that kind of relationship to ice cream cake. <laughs> Maybe someday. You can go to Franklin Freeze. You know Franklin Freeze? Yes, For an I ice do. Cream cake? Yeah, yep. okay. They make almost everything that Dairy Queen can make. I don't know about ice cream cake. Are they open now? Yep. There was a to-do about that. They, no, they, they, their uh, vegan machine was broken for a while. Oh. And now they fixed it. So it's, is that why the sign on the door said closed? Can... Cool. Franklin Freeze is on Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis, and they have um, saw Chicago Soy Dairy soft serve. So, like, Temptation Ice Cream soft serve there, and then they can add flavors to it. So, you, I think it's, like, 24 different flavors or something that you could get in a cone and various things. And it's fun. It's really fun. But, yeah, I did not know that they could. I suppose, yeah, why couldn't they? Why couldn't they put some crushed pineapple in? You know, I, had, I had a vegan banana split there. It was excellent. It was wonderful? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. How much was I it? Like $4? Um, no, it was under 5 Under 5 like bucks. That. That's still pretty awesome. Um, I wish that they could figure out some way of doing, like, the dipped cones and the cho- like, so you can get the chocolate stuff. Well, you mean shell? that makes it congeal? Yeah. I don't know. Okay, because I feel like that was vegan. I don't know. But I feel, yeah, I feel like it could be. But it would be so cool. So anyway, we are getting there. We're getting closer every summer. Okay, so I have one more shout out. Yes. To Tom and Tisha from the Living Green Expo. No, they're from here. She moved to to Milwaukee. But she's she's moving back or he's moving there, whatever. But they were at Living Green Expo and I saw them and chatted with them and it was nice to see them. Oh. So I'm shouting out to them. What up? Okay. I feel like she lives in Wisconsin. But now she lives here again? Milwaukee. Milwaukee's in Wisconsin. Right. But you said... Oh, but she used to live here. Yes. Okay. And she might move back here eventually. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So that was fun. Do you have any shout-outs? Nope. It doesn't work to shake your head on the radio. They can't see. (laughs) But it sounded rude to just say I don't have any shout-outs. No. But if I started, I would never be able to stop because... I tend to be a fountain of gratitude. Why don't you yeah. just thank... You could thank God. That's not where my gratitude tends to go. Oh. Yeah. Right well, now, it was like if an I had Emmy to thank one person, I would thank Al, because he Nowatsky? really did me... Yep, yeah, Al Nowatsky, because he really did me a solid by hanging out on my um, live chat on AR Zone last night and asking really thought-provoking questions and making me feel like... I had a friend on a forum that I was very, very new to. So shout out to oh, Al. That's awesome. Aww. That's awesome. I saw Al today. Um, and yeah, I, I just love Al. Um, so Al, I just said I'd rather thank you than God. And I think you'd like to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Al is laughing his ass off right now. <laughs> Wait, I have another shout out. <laughs> um, I have a shout out to Troy. Because oh, yeah, Troy. Troy has 
just saved my ass multiple times this week, I feel like. And, um, yeah, I, that dude is awesome. So, Troy, thank you so much. Um, basically, uh, Troy, I don't, I don't know a ton about Troy's history, but I know that he is, has recently really started to get involved in, uh, or, or like really started to dedicate himself to helping animals in a various, various number of ways. And I just, I guess what I want to say is that, um, you know, I've, I've been doing this a very, very long time and it makes such a difference to have other people around you who are excited, motivated, committed, reliable, and, you know, like just really on, really there, because I feel like, wow, I feel inspired and I feel like I have some new energy to actually take this stuff on. And that's just amazing. So thank you so much. Um, I guess, you know, I've just been saying like, thanks for fixing the printer and (laughs) thanks for, you know, helping me figure X out. But um, I, what I haven't said, I suppose, is that like all of those things combined have really helped helped me like find a new energy and uh, excitement about helping animals. So that's a pretty big deal. So thanks, dude. Okay, I have one more. Yep. Um, Angela from... Well, I guess I don't remember where Angela's from. I don't know if that's relevant. <laughs> Angela wants to shout out to her dear friend, Andy Elias, Elias, E-L-I-A-S, who just happens to be, according to her, I I can't, I haven't validated this, but happens to be the best vegan baker in central Illinois. That's that's a mighty big deal. Mm -hmm. And Andy is their baker at Common Ground Food Co-op in Urbana, Illinois. And even though he is not vegan, he has elevated the baking of vegan scones to the level of fine art. That is quite a compliment. Yes. And so she says, thank you, Andy, for your delicious cherry almond scones and for showing the residents of the Champaign-Urbana area that decadent baked goods are possible without butter. You, sir, are a baking rock god. Wow. (laughs) Says Angela. Cool. I don't know this guy. Cool. That's what shout-outs are for, though. Yeah. It's good. Now, um, Sarah Hane... Is an art dealer. So do you want to be a broker for his fine art? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would love to broker some scones into my belly. <laughs> awesome. Elliot? Yes, ma'am. Any- ma'am? <laughs> that is not a good thing. Okay. Well, Just so you know. Um, no no uh, shout outs for me. Sorry. <laughs> you can't say them in sign language. She's a no. All right. Okay. Well, cool. Do you have anything else you want to say? Uh-huh. Shout out to Dallas and Ryan for having me on the program. Oh. And shout out to all y'all for listening to me. Thank you. <laughs> yep. That's a, There goes the fountain. Oh, <laughs> That's very cute. Go ahead. You can have like the that's next awesome. 20 minutes to yeah, just really. thank people. It's at the end, so <laughs> we can. No, I'm done. We can go on. Okay, cool. Great. Well, thanks, guys, for listening again. Bye. 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 Bye.